Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the government faces more delays in vaccine production. We know that uh, this is something we're going to have to keep watching very, very closely. We still remain very confident we're going to get all uh, the doses that we secured from Moderna uh, by the end of March as expected, as planned. The response to Canada's new travel restrictions. We support this type of measure. Australia has used it, as well as New Zealand. It has been effective in limiting the spread internationally of COVID-19. We're seeing more and more evidence now that that is a real concern. And Aaron O'Toole says it would be a conflict of interest if the Prime Minister nominates the next Governor General. These can be controversial appointments and they, you know, and, and none more so than the one we've just seen flame out with Julie Payette. So why wouldn't you want that to be at arm's length? In case there is any controversy around it or troubles with it, why wouldn't you want to be able to point to the advisory committee making the recommendation rather than you handpicking somebody? It's Monday, February the 1st. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Peter, thank you for joining us. Hi, Mark. Good to talk to you again. So let's take the pulse of where we are with uh, vaccinations, with the measures that are going into place that um, are meant to uh, reduce the number of infections, travel restrictions, of course. Uh, And uh, at the same time, in some parts of the country, like Ontario, there are kids who are going back to school today. Uh, So a lot is going on. uh, But I think one of the overarching stories here is that I'm sensing a bit of frustration from people over the number of Canadians that are getting vaccinated, especially when there are stats out there that show we're we're not in the top 10 in the world. We're 20th or something in vaccinations per capita. So lots of questions for the government around that. Uh, Do you think they will start to have some answers to those questions and more vaccines in the country very soon? Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to see a whole lot of uh, additional vaccine getting to the country uh, soon, Mark. I mean, there's a, a couple of vaccines still in clinical trials, and uh, another one on Friday submitted a Maryland-based Novavax submitted its vaccine, which seems to be effective on the variant. But I, I don't get a sense that there's there's a new one coming right around the corner. I mean, I do detect. I think you know. Just tell you, just you know, when you're out talking to your neighbors, and 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 you know, when you see people, perhaps on a as I as I did this weekend, just on a walk, running into people out, you know, distanced uh, on, on a path somewhere. Uh, you know, it, it, it's getting long now, and there's a certain, I think, a certain weariness uh, of having to go all through what we've been going through and to keep on going through it. And I think for a lot of people, you know, uh, when Christmas hit and the new year hit, there was the, the, the hope that the vaccines would help us all turn the corner. Now when the the news about vaccines seems to be largely negative, not positive in terms of cutbacks in the number of doses by Moderna and Pfizer and, and the slowness in getting any uh, new ones to market, uh, it, this becomes a real testing time, I think, for, for governments. And you're seeing that with uh, you know, clamoring for uh, easing of restrictions, kids going back to school, uh, challenges for the federal government in particular, cutting back uh, on, you know, trying to force people to stop their travel and, and making them pay the price if they do want to travel when they come back and having to quarantine. So I think we're at a, a pretty crucial point here in the next month or so when it's going to be this sort of conflict between people, you know, wanting to get 
back to normal and things wanting to reopen and people, you know, uh, putting, pinning their hopes on vaccines and seeing that process stalled. And I think there's going to be a a real messaging challenge, I think, for, for politicians and health officials to try and keep people sticking to the plan. Yeah, and what do you think about the travel restrictions? We're hearing some of those uh, will start to go into effect later this week, perhaps, uh, for people returning to Canada or entering Canada. Uh, and we know already, of course, that airlines have, have agreed to cancel their flights to warmer destinations that uh, Canadians might be going to at this time of year or for March break. Um, how do you think people are going to respond to that? I've heard people expressing frustration over that. I've also heard people saying we should have done it sooner. Yeah, I think you're hearing all of that, and 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 even with the latest restrictions, you know, no canceling all uh, you know flights from Canada to the Caribbean or to Mexico, and people saying, "Oh, wait a minute, what about Florida? What about Arizona? How come those uh, are still yeah. you know destinations?" And the government, in part, the answer has been, that, you know, we have you know essential supplies coming back from uh, the United States on some of those planes, and so those flights for the moment aren't targeted, but. I think it's. I think you're going to hear more of that. There are going to be lots of questions about uh, how they're applying uh, these travel restrictions, and you know, basically, if you can afford to do it and you're willing to pay the extra, you know, two thousand dollars to come back and quarantine, it, you know, how many people is it going to stop from going uh, to these southern destinations? I think. Uh, we're going to have to watch for a couple of weeks to see exactly how much travel has been cut back and whether it has the desired effect, which is to stop people from going and to protect Canadians when those people do return. And you're seeing stories this past weekend, Mark, with uh, travel experts saying, look, what's what's happening is a lot of snowbirds who are intending to come home because these measures are in place till uh, at least April 30th uh, that we're intending to come home, you know, maybe end of March, early April. Well, they're just going to stay. They're going to stay beyond the restrictions of April 30th and see whether anything's changed and then come back later. So um, interesting to see whether they're going to be as effective as the government hopes. Uh, But just by the fact they've done it is going to send a a message to a lot of other Canadians who are planning to travel to just not do it. So we'll see whether that actually pans out. Yeah. All right. It'll be interesting to see the effect of that. Uh, Let's turn to the appointment of Canada's next Governor-General. Aaron O'Toole, the Conservative leader, has suggested that Justin Trudeau's in a conflict of on this appointment because uh, he's the Prime Minister of a minority parliament and that the, the new Governor-General, in theory, could be making decisions that affect the future of his government. Uh, so there's that, and, and related to that, there are calls for there to be a different kind of process to appoint a new Governor-General, a panel, a committee, something like that, so it's not entirely in the hands of the Prime Minister, who, of course, doesn't technically appoint the governor general but makes a recommendation to the queen right i mean the push the push mark is to go back to the future you know this is uh, under the harper government this is that was the appointment process there was an independent advisory committee that uh, pushed names to the front and that he picked from those names and this time around uh with the appointment of julie payette last time around justin trudeau chose not to do that and uh you know there were some names in front of him but when uh, you know somebody came up with Julie Payette, that was the one that uh, sort of everybody went, oh, aha, and sort of that seemed like, uh, you know, a, a star appointment, and uh, the Prime Minister, it fit, picked all those boxes that Justin Trudeau was talking about back, back then, so that's what they went with. Uh, what's interesting is, you know, all, every sort of suggestion I've been hearing is for him to go back to something like that. 
and you and I have talked about this. I'm, I'm not sure uh, these can be controversial appointments, and they, you know, and, and none more so than the one we've just seen flame out with Julie Payette. So why wouldn't you want that to be at arm's length? Uh, why wouldn't you want, uh, you know, uh, in case there is any controversy around or troubles with it, why wouldn't you want to be able to point to the advisory committee making the recommendation uh, rather than you handpicking somebody? But it, it's, it's interesting. Uh, the Prime Minister's talked repeatedly about a stronger vetting process and a lot of options being looked at, uh, but he uh, has yet to commit to saying that uh, when the appointment happens, it won't be somebody I handpick. We're going to use a different process. So it seems to me that's still on the table till he says, it's not. Yeah. And um, what are you hearing in terms of next steps here? Because uh, we haven't really heard a lot. There have been people, of course, speculating about who the next governor general might be. Um, how how much of urgency do you see around uh, this appointment process? I think it's pretty urgent because, you know, for the moment, uh, the the duties of the uh, of, of the governor general's office fall to the chief justice of Canada. And I'm not sure that you want to put the chief justice of Canada in the position of having to, uh, for instance, if the prime minister were to go to Rideau Hall and say, I want prorogation, I, I want another election. You're leaving you're, you're you're leaving that in the hands of the chief justice of Canada, which, you know, you, you now have. Uh, the top jurist in the country having to make a political decision uh, or, or potentially a political decision, and I'm not sure how many people are comfortable with that. So there's an, and given that it's a minority parliament, uh, there can be a very important role. There always is uh, when it comes to elections for the governor general, but particularly so in a minority parliament. So you know we could have an election at any time in theory. Which means that you, uh, I think there's a lot of pressure on the government to fill this position quickly, uh, within a matter of uh, weeks, I would say, uh, and put somebody in, in Rideau Hall, uh, to take care of those concerns and, and to do it with the right process and to take care of those concerns uh, about a possible election and who would have to, uh, make a decision if the prime minister wanted to go to the polls. All right. We'll see what happens. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. Always a pleasure, Mark. We'll talk to you soon. At CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. With the challenges we currently face with COVID-19, both here at home and abroad, we all agree that now is just not the time to be flying. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Globe and Mail argues that when it comes to restricting travel, the federal government says, better late than never. The Globe writes, there may well come a day when the term... Let's Canada this project will mean to slowly roll out a measure well after it's needed, but in the knowledge that it can still do some good. On Friday, the Trudeau government announced measures that will have a familiar ring to people who have followed COVID-19 restrictions in Australia and New Zealand, two of the world's most successful countries at stopping the spread of the coronavirus. Both began enforcing such measures in March of last year. In the Toronto Star, Heather Schofield considers Canada's post-Trump immigration strategy. Schofield writes, The election of Joe Biden, with his more open immigration policies, means Canada will once again face impossibly stiff competition for highly skilled workers, with warnings that the U.S. gains in immigration will be Canada's losses. There is an ongoing debate about how beneficial immigration is to our economy and how much immigration is needed to keep economic growth on an even keel. In the Hamilton Spectator, Christopher J. Schneider and Eric Laming argue there is a looming monopoly in Canadian justice. 
They write, The Ontario government recently announced that it will follow through with a cloud-based digital management system for police and the criminal justice system across the province. Other provinces should take notice. The U.S.-based company at the heart of this technology is publicly traded and motivated by sales and profits. And there is no empirical evidence that it will actually improve police transparency. What remains certain is that the implementation of this system for police and the justice system will lead to the ballooning of police budgets with no foreseeable end. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The House of Commons Health Committee will be hearing from a series of witnesses this morning as they look into the situation facing Canadians during the second wave of the COVID pandemic. And as CPAC's Martin Stringer reports, the focus will be on vaccines and Canada's overall performance handling the second wave. Mark, the Commons Health Committee gets underway at 11 a.m., and for two hours, MPs will hear from an interesting variety of witnesses. One of them is Professor Amir Adaran. He is an epidemiologist who has been very critical of the federal and provincial government's handling of the pandemic. Another is Dr. Isaac Bogosh. He's a well-known epidemiologist who's also on the Ontario Provincial Vaccine Distribution Task Force. Committee members will also hear from the head of the Canadian Public Health Association and from from one of the Canadian companies, Quebec-based Medicago, whose COVID-19 vaccine candidate has now just entered stage three human trials. Lastly, MPs will also hear from Timothy Evans, the executive director of the COVID-19 Immunity Task Force, which was set up by the Trudeau government to determine to what extent Canadians have been exposed to and are developing immunity to the virus. That task force was in the news recently when it had to admit that it has so far been unable to compile a national profile of Canadians' immunity for a number of reasons, one of which has been the lack of approval and widespread deployment of serology tests. So, Mark, potentially interesting testimony coming up as of 11 a.m. at the Health Committee. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will take part in a virtual conversation with students from classrooms across the country for the Canadian launch of Social Justice and Racism Lessons from Willie O'Ree. Later, he will chair the Cabinet meeting. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will virtually attend question period and the Cabinet meeting. The Senate Committee on Legal and Constitutional Affairs... We'll hear from Justice Minister David Lametti on the Medical Assistance in Dying Bill. And Infrastructure Minister Catherine McKenna will take part in a virtual event in Thorold, Ontario. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, February the 1st. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.